Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Today, we have returning author Kathleen Casca coming back to share one of her cozy mysteries with us. Thanks for joining us again, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, Over the next several weeks, we're going to be doing one out of each of the four Sydney Lockhart mystery series. And this is so much fun for me because um, over time, we're going to be allowing readers to have a little snippet of each book so that they can kind of understand the progression of this series. So I'm really excited that you've agreed to do this in sequence for us. Thank you. (laughs) For those of you who don't know Kathleen, Kathleen is a Texas gal, except for an 18 month hiatus living in New York City after college. She lived in the Lone Star State continuously for 50 years. Since then, Texas has been hit and miss, a little hit, but a heck of a lot of miss. There was a time when she thought she would be happily die in Austin, but circumstances and weather, especially weather, changed that. Now she spends most of her year on Fidego Island in Washington State with a view of the bay and the mountains. When she gets homesick, she and her husband listen to Willie Nelson. Soon they're dancing two-step, imagining they are in their favorite honky-tonk in Tokyo, Texas, where the mayor is believed to be a dog. Yes. Who, wouldn't, who wouldn't miss that? That's a yeah. great thing. I, I would love to have a dog be the mayor of my town. I think. Well, we, we weren't sure he was the mayor, but he was always the first one to greet us whenever we pulled in. And uh, so I think we, that makes him mayor. I, I do too. I yeah, do too. Absolutely. So the first book you're going to read for us in this new series is The Murder at the Arlington. Can you tell me a little bit about the book? And I know that this series, the murder mysteries take place at different hotels. Is that correct? That's true. That's true. Uh, The Arlington Hotel is set or it's in Hot Springs, Arkansas. It has a very interesting history in the 30s and 40s. um, There was a lot of gangsters there, uh, Bugsy Siegel, Al Capone. Al Capone had a room in the Arlington Hotel. And my husband and I have visited there often. I think we totaled up, we spent a total of four months at the Arlington Hotel. Wow, that's a lot of time. Yeah, I know all the nooks and crannies and I know Hot Springs, just like if it was my second home. So that's that's where I decided to set the first book. I, I love that town and I love the hotel. 
So give us a little introduction into Sidney Lockhart. Why write a series about this particular character? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I hadn't planned on it. I was working on another series at the time. And during one of the stays at the Arlington Hotel, Sydney just showed up and just started telling me her story. It's as simple as that. And I, she's a spunky young woman trying to make it in a man's world. She's kind of floundering as to what she really wants to do, what she really wants to be. Um, and um, she she progresses in the story um, and she's very determined. I wanted to make it hard on her in her career. So I set the stories in, 19, in the early 1950s when uh, things are a lot different for women back then. Sure. Yeah. Especially in this field of crime or detective work, it, it's very, um, very much a man's world back then. Yes. Yes. And yeah. she, she investigates her first case here, even though that's not what she had planned to do when she got there, but it just fell in her lap immediately. And then over time she realized that, yeah, she, she was good at this and this was her true calling. Awesome. Okay. When you are ready, please take the microphone and read The Murder at the Arlington aloud for us. Okay. Red Newsom had warned me not to enter his joint unescorted. He said he wouldn't stop me, but he couldn't be held responsible for my white ass if things got nasty. I tucked my unruly hair under a shabby fedora. I picked up the hat at Goodwill along with a full set of men's clothes, complete with shiny wingtips. My scheme, which earlier the day, in the day seemed brilliant, now teetered on idiotic. Other than my makeshift costume, the only thing that allowed me to pass as a man was my height. And once inside the Crooked Jay, my chances were slim to none that I'd get an interview with Hound Dog Jackson anyway. Those obstacles, however, did not cross my mind when Ernest, my editor at the Austin American, assigned me to get an interview with the elusive Jackson who was performing right here in Austin. Having come aboard only a few weeks ago, I jumped at the chance to get the story, even though the Cricket Jay was on the east side of town, even if few whites frequented the establishment even if any woman going there alone was asking for trouble. Trouble seemed to follow me, so what did it matter? Besides, knowing Ernest, I'm sure he didn't care how I got the interview. My name is Sydney Jean Lockhart. I'm a reporter working my way from the travel and entertainment section to hardcore reporting. I like to think of myself as a woman ahead of her time, a time that, in my opinion, is still archaic. Despite Queen Elizabeth's coronation and Lucy's domination of television airwaves, society still frowns on single women working in a man's world, even in 1952. So when Newsom warned me not to walk into the Cricket Jay alone, I took it as a direct challenge. I gave myself a pep talk and glued on a red mustache. Confidence in my disguise returned. Besides, 
Newcomb and I had only Newsom and I had only spoken over the phone, and he had no idea what I looked like. Soon after slapping Old Spice on my cheeks, I elbowed my way to the Crooked J Bar, and ordered a gin on the rocks. The band was on break, and to keep the crowd in a frenzy, the bartender had fed the jukebox a pocket full of dimes. The walls throbbed to the beat of Glenn Miller's In the Mood. Through the thick blue haze, the sparkle of glitter and glint flashed across the dance floor as rotating spotlights reflected off a of shimmering clothes and slick back pompadours. Women twirled through the arms of their leaf dance partners and slid under their legs with such ease and ease and fluidity, they look like paper streamers whirling in the breeze. I set my drink and lit up. So far, so good. No one paid me the least bit of attention. My plan was to listen to the next set and be at the stage door when Jackson took another break. I swayed with a melody when someone bumped my arm and sloshed gin onto my sleeve and, cuff and cufflink. Hmm, don't you smell nice? A young woman sidled up to me. If it weren't for her glimmering emerald dress, she would have been invisible in the darkness. Not many white boys come in here. But you just buy me a drink like we're old friends and everything will be fine. Call me Vivian. Trying to deepen my voice would have given me away in an instant. I tapped my cigarette pack on the bar and offered Vivian a smoke then nodded to the bartender to pour her a drink. Vodka martini, Vivian called. Want to dance? She nestled my arm. My insides burned, and it wasn't from the gin. My plan hadn't included being picked up, but what the hell, I figured dancing was better than talking. My mother had taught me how to jitterbug, which meant that I learned by leading, probably the reason I couldn't keep a boyfriend. Vivian down half her martini, and seconds later, we were rollicking with the rest of the crowd. The top of her head reached to my shoulders. Twirling her was easy. She was light on her feet, and I was beginning to feel pretty sassy myself. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed the band milling around, preparing for the second set. I danced Vivian toward the stage, but before we could jitterbug any closer, a huge presence parted the crowd and glided toward us. Accompanying the figure was a booming voice, which shouted over the music, freezing dancers in mid-step. Vivian, I thought you was at home with that vagabond grandmother of yours. Uh, Gerald, honey, uh, this is my cousin from Biloxi, Vivian stammered. Like hell, why, you ain't got no white kin. The next thing I knew, my feet left the dance floor, and seconds later, I slid across the stage. My fedora flew off, and my hair sprang as if anxious to announce to the crowd that a transvestite, now entangled in mic stands and electric wires, was in the house. The place went silent. Vivian picked herself up from the floor, took one look at me, squealed, and disappeared into the crowd. Much to my relief, Gerald disappeared as well. From behind the bar, a guy who I assumed was Red Newsom 
sauntering up to the stage. Miss Lockhart, he said, how did you, how could you tell? I spit the mustache from my mouth and disentangled myself from the drum set. Red Newsom whisked me off the stage and out of the public's eye, since the blood that trickled down my forehead and slid down the side of my face caused two women to pass out. And since setting up for the next set took longer than anticipated, I had the opportunity to meet Jackson backstage. Anyone who'd gone to the trouble I had, he said, deserved a few minutes of his time. So with my necktie wrapped around my head, I got my interview quick and was gone. I arrived back at my apartment around one after a stop at the emergency room. I was confident that once the stitches were removed, the scar near my hairline would be unnoticeable. Regardless of the risk involved in my job, I wouldn't change it for the world. My current profession is a breeze compared to what I used to do. For two years, I taught life science at Limestone Middle School, staring down at 30 adolescents every morning for the rest of my working life was unthinkable. Writing for a living was a cinch. Thank you very much. That's a wonderful introduction to Sydney Lockhart. Um, what made you decide to choose her profession as a journalist rather than some other profession of the time that maybe wouldn't have been so difficult. Why did you really want to make it hard for her? Well, you know, what's funny is that the time when I created Sydney and we were at the Arlington Hotel, I was there on an assignment. <laughs> okay. And I mean, it was a travel assignment. I was working for writing for a, a magazine in Austin at the time. And I was there at the hotel on a writing assignment. So it just kind of seemed natural that I would make Sydney a reporter. Um, although I didn't have as much trouble getting the story as she did. <laughs> okay. But it was just kind of something that happened and it seemed to fit. And there weren't many female reporters during those days. So I thought, okay, this will work. Very cool. Um, if... So I guess I guess I'm really curious about why why you chose hotels as your backdrop for these mysteries. I mean, murder mysteries, especially cozy mysteries, can happen just about anywhere we want them to, right? Um, and some of us write and we we choose old hometowns. Cozy mysteries, especially, happen in hometowns, or they happen in can connection with people we knew from our past high school, um, right. you know, college years, that sort of thing. What drew you to the idea that a series of murders could happen at hotels? Well, hotels um, can be very uh, mysterious places. I mean, a lot of things go on in hotels, you know, most of them, mostly we don't know about, but a lot of things go on in hotels. And my husband and I travel a lot. And when we travel, we look for historic hotels because hotels, these historic hotels have their own story to tell. And it's just really fun uh, researching and interviewing people who work at these places. 
And um, it just seemed natural that, you know, a lot of shenanigans would go on there. Okay. So that's why I decided hotels. And plus, I, I love the I love the research. I love the history. Uh, these hotels are like another character in the book. So I bring a lot of the history of the hotels into the stories. Sure. And I, I would guess it would make travel more fun because then you get to write off all your expenses every time you stay Absolutely. in the hotel. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. I'm so glad that you came back and I'm looking forward to the next three installments in this series. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.